welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers and 24 offices across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me interview a different Foley attorney through our one-on-one, candid conversations, you'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bio, stories of obstacles and triumphs, with some funny moments in between. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Vaughn Bryant. Vaughn is a senior counsel in Foley's Washington, D.C. office, where he focuses his practice on corporate transactional matters. Before I had Vaughn on the podcast, I had the opportunity to speak with him a bit about his path to law and his path to Foley, at which point he said to me, happy to be on the podcast. I just don't think my background is that interesting, which I find to be hysterical given that, as you will soon hear, Vaughn could have just as easily ended up in the NFL as he did end up at Foley and Lardner. In addition to discussing this, Vaughn shares about growing up in West Philadelphia, as well as the New Jersey suburbs. He shares a bit about his parents and what it was like growing up as the child of two PhDs. And he also reflects and shares some of his personal experiences as a Black man in America and how that relates to the current racial justice movement. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Vaughn. Welcome to the episode. Hey, Alexis. Nice to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Before we jump in and walk through really your what I'm calling your professional personal origin story, I want to get you to give that introduction that you give at if you're at a networking event or say you were on a panel and you get that moment, someone says, tell me about yourself. What is the intro you give to that? So I say, you know, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Vaughn Bryant. I'm a senior counsel at Foley and Lardner in our DC office. My practice is concentrated primarily on mergers and acquisitions, private equity, and venture capital transactions. But I also do some investment management work and pretty much anything generally commercial. All right. So our task for the next 30 to 45 minutes, we're going to walk up to this story. I want to figure out how it is that we arrived here today. And I'm going to start with some basics and then I'm going to kind of fast forward a bit. You know, I apologize to the listener. We might not be in exact chronological order. We'll see where our conversation takes us. But where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. So I'm from uh, West Philadelphia, grew up there to about age 10 and then moved to South Jersey and lived in South Jersey, you know, middle school, high school. But since college have not, you know, really been back. Okay. So this is where I'm going to say something that's either really lame or what everyone's thinking when you say West Philadelphia, do you think of the Fresh Prince at all? Do others? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> like born and raised like that, like immediately. That is really what I expected you to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to maintain my professional demeanor and so did not start rapping the, uh, the song. I had to say what everybody I think would be thinking. <laughs> uh, but okay, so tell me about that. You said grew up in West Philadelphia, later moved to New Jersey. When did that move happen? So at what age? Fourth grade. I was like 10. So, you know, I'm really a Jersey, a Jersey guy, but, you know, Philly is my roots. My family's from Philly. I'm a diehard Eagles fan. It really gave me a good perspective into, 
you know, kind of growing up in a more urban environment and then transitioning to, you know, a suburban environment. And so kind of having the benefit of, you know, knowing both sides personally is really one of the things that I think about in terms of, you know, moving over to to Jersey. Wow. So that's something I may want to follow up on, although I am curious because I've not spent much time in New Jersey, but I have some friends from Jersey. Can you name the suburbs you're from? Because I think people are going to be curious. Yeah, sure. So um, it's called Washington Township. Um, It's about 30 minutes east of Philadelphia and about 30 minutes west of Atlantic City. So right there in the middle between AC and Philly in South Jersey. Okay. So I'm going to skip ahead. We may come back to more of this early childhood. But when I asked you to be on this podcast told you what it was going to be. Your first response was along the lines of happy to, although I just don't have anything terribly interesting about my professional path. At which point, as I do for pretty much everyone, I looked you up on LinkedIn and I said, okay, Vaughn, although I've noticed that you went to college at both Duke and the University of Pennsylvania, what happened there? And so I'd like you to answer that again, (laughs) just on this recording. What, What happened there? Why? Why did you go to places for college? Gotcha. So I went to Duke uh, out of high school on a full athletic scholarship for football uh, as a running back. And so that's what took me to Duke. And it's also what uh, led to my transfer to UPenn because back when I played at Duke in the early and mid 2000s, we weren't as good as they are now. So I was going up and down the East Coast getting beat up by Florida State and Clemson and all the schools. And uh, then my coach got fired. And that's the guy I knew since I was, you know, 16 years old. He gets fired. These new guys come in. They switch me to defense. And after all that, I, you know, I said, you know what? Penn was always my, my my second choice or my other choice when I had narrowed it down. And so, and being from South Jersey, Philadelphia area, it's, it was like, it's like a homecoming. So I said, like, you know, what? I'm going home. You know, I'm going to go play football at home, go to Penn. And that's what led to me going to both schools. All right. So you say this really casual, like really casual, like that it's completely normal to play football at the collegiate level. But let me back you up a little bit. <laughs> so you knew your coach at Duke since you were 16. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about that. And and also just tell me a bit about Vaughn in high school. I don't know. I told you previously, I'm not well-versed in sports or athletics. Okay. But actually, let me break this up a little bit. When did you start playing football? Started playing football at age eleven, so sixth grade. Is that through your like middle school? Like that was uh, like the the recreational parks and like pee wee leagues. That wasn't for the school; it was for the town. Okay, and at some point between that and likely high school, it became clear that you were kind of good at it. Yeah, you know, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I was still small until like tenth grade, and then eleventh grade, I became a starter. Did really, really well, made like all state and all that. And then my senior year, I was actually nationally ranked, was a number 70 running back in the country. My senior year, I was number one Ivy League recruit, any position. And typically that's a quarterback, but I was number one, even though I was a running back. So that was uh, pretty cool. So, you know, I had offers from the entire Ivy League and then some bigger schools like Duke and Chapel Hill, uh, a few others. I need to break this down back to the person who's not as up on college recruiting. And just candidly, I mentioned this to my husband the other day. And I was like, yeah, he was like a draft pick. And my husband was like, no, no, honey, he was was a recruit. (laughs) Yeah, I was a recruit. recruit. So please tell me, though, the 
to the extent, you know, for the layman like myself, what is that system like to be the number one Ivy League recruit? It sounds like a big deal to me. You say it kind of casually. So I would just love if you could reflect on that and tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So the coaches were coming by my school all the time. You know, I'd be in class and then get an announcement to my class. Vaughn, come to the guidance counselor's office. And like, there's a coach, you know, or coaches were like popping out of my mailbox. You know, they were just like always around, um, you know, inviting me to campus, showing up at the games. And that's your senior, that's senior year. That's what senior year of college felt like. That's what senior year of high school felt like. I'm sorry, high school. Yes. Just always coaches taking trips to visit them with my parents. Um, sometimes my grandparents would come and they give you a hotel and it was, it was fun. It was definitely a fun time. All right. I need to, I'm, I want to tease some things out in that as well, but let's just make it clear. So at that point, you're not like, I'm going to law school to be a lawyer. No, no. So at, at, at 17 with scholarships, I'm like thinking NFL all the way, you know, everything is NFL. And then, you know, my parents are like, okay, that's cool, but you got to go to the best college you can go to since you have like that opportunity. So they were totally supportive of it because, you know, I'm getting these, getting into these great schools because I'm, I'm a good student and athlete and, you know, scholarship. So I'm thinking NFL and they're saying, that's great. Just make sure you graduate on time and do your schoolwork. <laughs> and so I know you mentioned this when we talked before, your parents were, as you said, ecstatic about the NFL, but they were like, we care about the academics at the school you're going to. Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, both my parents are PhDs. So, you know, education's paramount in our family. It was never, you know, if I was going to college, just where. That's like just what you do after high school. You know, that was the whole uh, mindset. And, you know, my dad was really big on, you know, the average lifespan of an NFL career is 3.7 years. You'll be 26. What are you going to do the rest of your life? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. That's not going to be me. I'm going to play till I'm 40, you know. And They were keeping it very real. As very real. So he's hit me with the stats, the injury concerns. You can't bank on that. Like, go for it. But, you know, you got to have your, your plan B. You got to take care of education either way, you know. And so that's what I did. So I went to Duke saying I'm going to NFL. Never made it to the NFL, but I did get the, the academics handled. And I didn't even get my original question answered. So how did you get connected at 16 with the with the coach who was your coach for a bit at Duke? All right. So I actually, so the summer of my senior year, so after my junior year, I made like all conference, all state. And like, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like, good, you know? So let me like take this really seriously. And then by some family members that have played sports, they're like, you should go to camp at some schools that you're interested in so you can literally put yourself in front of the coaches. And so I have family in North Carolina in the Raleigh area. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Duke and University of North Carolina's camps. And I went to University of Maryland's camp. I'm going to go to these three camps just to like get in front of some coaches and also to like hone my skills and things like that. So I went to Duke's camp. You run the 40 yard dash, just one of the like training metrics they evaluate you on. And I ran the fastest time at the camp. And then, you know, did the drills for a few days. And at the end of the camp, coach is like, hey, like, we want to talk to you, like, upstairs. And then, like, they were like, we want to offer you a full scholarship. And so I'm like, you know, I'm 16. I'm like, all I know is I got to talk to my parents. Like, I can't say anything. I'm like, thank you. That sounds great. I you, Can I call my mom? You know, like, that, I didn't want to, like, say any more. And so my mom talked to the coach. And then they gave me a campus tour. And then I was plugged in. Then they started calling me on a weekly basis. They started coming to my games. But yeah, I went down to the camp and 
I went to three camps. Chapel Hill and Duke offered me. Maryland didn't offer, but you know, I went to the camp and got on their radar. But yeah, so it was just like a little, like a tour. Like I was going to these camps and they were offering. I'm sorry. This is so at 16, you basically got connected to the coach at Duke, and that's where you then subsequently went. I know you mentioned then, you know, he wasn't there anymore, so you you transferred. But that's amazing. It doesn't sound to me like you were promised to Duke by the time you were a senior, but you'd already had a couple years of a relationship with them. Yeah. So I met them my summer going into my senior year. They offered while I was at the camp and they were the first to offer me a scholarship. And so I always like had a special place for them. You know, they were the first to like offer me. And then as the year went on, more and more teams started offering, but they stuck with it. And then ultimately, you know, I went with them. And yeah, I knew the coach, you know, they were coming to my games, visited a few times. So yeah, you know, that that's that's where I ended up going. And and my mom was offered them because I, I got I got offered by like Clemson and a few other schools that weren't as high on the academic, and she was just like not happening. No. She wasn't having it. No, no. She, yeah, yeah. She was like, <laughs> no. you know, and I didn't understand, you know, as like a teenager, but I know that, you know, they have my best interests. So so you then transfer, like you said, after your coach left to the University of Pennsylvania. And surely at this point, you decided I'm going to law school. Is that what <laughs> happened? <laughs> still no, still no. So when, I, when I transferred, my dad was like, all right, you should go to Wharton because it's like the best of everything. And I was like, no, I want to do um, African-American studies. And he's like, I'll buy you the books. If you really care, you can read the books. You, you should go to Wharton. He, and he was like, he's always like methodical. And he's like, well, if you can like, you can write me an essay about why you want to do African-American. I was like, All right, I'll just do Wharton, you know, like, I so, so did that. And then I still, I want to go to NFL. I want to go to NFL because it's possible from Ivy League, although tougher because the competition is not the same. You're not on TV the same. It's still doable. So I still was training night and day all summer with that mindset. But again, focused on school at the same time. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned that to me before, how it's it's possible. It's not as common. And then I want to talk a bit about the transition after college, but I wanted to back up and just, can you share for what that's like to be a college athlete while you're also focused on academics and all the training? You said it, I mean, you said it was a lot and it was hard, but what is that like? It's pretty tough. I mean, college athletes don't want anyone to take out a violin and sing them a sad song, you know, but it's like having a full-time job while going to school, I mean, pretty close to 40 hours because you have, you got your practice in three hours a day, you're traveling once a week, you don't get anything school-wise done on game day. If you're injured or have a, a nick or bruise, you got to have rehab and treatment. You got to watch film. You got to go to study hall. You got to, you, there's so many things, like everything revolves around the sport. And it's like, you're even picking your classes based on which ones don't conflict with practice and things like that. Like, you're doing everything for the sport. So definitely felt like a full-time job, but something like that I was passionate about and loved doing, you know, but it really did make it tough to do extra studying and study groups and kind of other extracurriculars because, you know, the team is not letting you study abroad. You can't leave campus. You know, they want, they don't want you to go home in the summer. Your time is accounted for. Yeah. They want you, you know, you got to show up on time every day. You know, you know, even uh, in terms of class, they send people to the class, at least at Duke and Penn. They don't do it at every school. 
to see if you're in class. And if you're not in class that day, you can't practice that day. And if you don't practice, you might not get to start if you were a starter. You, there might be some penalty on you because you didn't go to class, which is like not, again, not boo-hoo, I had to go to class. But like, there, but you know, in college, you might sleep in sometimes, you might blow off a class, but like during the season, you got to go to class because they send their grad assistants around checking in. Like, well, a little checkboard, somebody pokes in and checking the box to see, yeah, see who's supposed to be there. And then they leave. And then if you weren't there and you show up at practice, they're like, what are you doing here? You can't practice today, you know? Well, not to, to kind of bury the leader of my intention, but with this podcast and with your walking through your professional history, I am going to imagine, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, there's some parallels there. There are some prepared, like you got prepared early to work, work really hard, which we talk and it's different because it's, it's physical, but you know, often within large law firms, we talk about the demands of being a lawyer. And so it's just interesting for me to kind of tease out some of the things likely that on your you know journey to where you are now, we're, we're probably pretty helpful. Maybe that you, you would have never guessed it. <laughs> all right. All right. You never know. Yep. Well, so what happened? You graduated from college and then what? So I graduated from college and then I was still training to try to be a professional. So I was doing these various like combines and workouts for NFL. And back in, you know, mid to late 2000s, there was this league called the Arena League, which is basically like the minor league of football. I was trying, you know, doing things for them. And so I actually, I did the Arena League combine in New Orleans. And then I came home, I got a call from San Jose Sabercats. And they were like, hey, we want you to come to training camp. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you know, so I keep training. I go to camp and I was playing defense there. And then they said, You look great, but we think you need a year in our developmental team in like Memphis, Tennessee, or something. And I'm like, Okay, so I'm already not in NFL, I'm at Arena. And then the Arena is saying, Hey, you got to go to our farm club for a year. I'm like, You know, that's too far, going in the wrong direction from NFL as a, you know, as a Wharton grad. So I, that's when I hung up the cleats after. That was it? After, that, yeah, that was it. I was two, with, that was two years, though, you said. No. So I was with the team for, you know, a month. With the team oh, got month. it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. With the team about a month. So I get home. It's October. And I'm like, All right, what do I want to do? And I'm like, new plan. I'm at home. So I'm start studying for the LSAT. You know, I decided I wanted to go to law school. So where did that come from? Had there been inklings there? Was that what you decided in those that time after graduation? So I kind of figured out towards the end of school that um, I knew I wanted to get another degree. And I really had narrowed it down to either law school or business school. And I started looking at like the requirements to get in top business schools and the requirements to get in top law schools. And one of the big distinctions was that most of the top business schools want you to have a few years of work experience to get in. And I'm like, ah, you know, I wanted to just keep it going. And that with law school always is just growing up as even as a kid, like, you know, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. I you know, saw the Jerry Maguire movie. I found out sports agents were typically lawyers. I was like, all right, yeah, I want to go to law school. And so I immediately, after football ended, started studying for the LSAT, took it. But then there was still a lot of time before, you know, you got to go through the application process and stuff. So I started working in Philly for a marketing company. I worked in marketing for, you know, maybe eight months before law school while doing the uh, admissions process. The 
calculation you made of what schools can I go to directly from college, I definitely did the same thing. <laughs> it was it was very clear to me that I wanted to go to law school. But I remember even, I mean, for me, this is, oh my gosh, how long ago? 17 years ago? 16, 17. Is that right? 2005. I graduated from, in 2005. Okay, I'm 06. Yeah. But I was thinking about this while in college. And I remember seeing that more and more people who wanted to go to law school were starting to take time off. And I was like, no. I have to go straight through. Please don't make me. And of course, I, I feel differently now, but I, I totally understand what you mean there. And you did mention that as you were growing up, you had considered the law a little bit. So the seed was there earlier on. That's really interesting. Okay. So then where do you go? What happens next? Where do you go to law school? So interestingly, you know, so I applied to a bunch of law schools, but I also, whatever law school gave me a free application, I was like, well, why not fill it out? Right. You know? So I got a free application from WashU, Washington University in St. Louis. I had never heard of the school, truthfully, because I'm an East Coast person and really because they don't have sports. You know, they have like small time sports. They're not on TV. They're not on ESPN. Like, so I didn't really know about them, but I applied. And so I get in and I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, I was like waiting for like whatever the next best thing should be. The girl I was dating at the time, she's like, you got in there? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you know about the school? I'm like, no. And she sends me a U.S. News World Report link, you know, to the ranking. And I click it and it's like number 18 school. And I'm like at work, you know, in my little cubicle. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I'm like, I have to walk out of work. I'm like, uh, I have to be back in 15 minutes. And I leave. I'm like, yes, yes. Oh my God. You know, thank you, God. You know, and I was like so excited and like call my mom and like, so I didn't know. I didn't know. And then, you know, and then I, I you know, I was uh, enlightened, you know. And so then right away, I'm like, well, that's where I'm that's where I'm going. You know, that was it. I mean, I flew out to St. Louis because I had never been and checked it out. And it looked eerily similar to Duke, the campus. It was like gothic. It's like gothic and manicured and super nice. So I got like great vibes there. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like kind of like Duke light, you know. That's hysterical. Yeah. And so then I was like, yeah, I'm going, you know, they gave me a little bit of scholarship or whatever. So it was, it well, worked now, out. And I want to pause here for a second and talk a little bit about your parents, because you mentioned earlier, they're both PhDs. They were like, focus on academics. I almost want to ask, maybe they're not these type of people, but was there any, I told you so sort of moment when you decided to go to law school and they were like, we told, this is why you should have focused on academics. <laughs> right. Do you think they felt vindicated? <laughs> no, because I was always listening, you know? So I don't know. They were super supportive and were excited for me. Well, and I also want you to tell me a bit about them because when we talked before the podcast, you told me a bit about your dad and his path. And I would love if you could share, and of course there may be things about, you know, more things about him or your mom, but I'd love for you to share a bit about what you said about your dad to me previously. Yeah. So one of the cool things about my dad, he didn't have a traditional path through school like me. Um, you know, he actually dropped out of high school because he was in, you know, the 1970s Philadelphia gang scene, you know, and he was on the streets. So he dropped out of school. And then, you know, then he, he first got his GED and then began working as a construction worker. And so, but my mom is like, at the same time in parallel, knocking out degrees and she's, um, you know, a social worker and then she becomes a therapist and she's just like doing that and he's doing construction and he's like, I don't like this, you know? And so he applies to Temple, the master's program based on his life experience, which I didn't know you could do. So he doesn't have wow. a bachelor's. Yeah. 
He That's applied. amazing. You didn't mention this before. I'm, I wish people could see my so, face. I'm like, whoa. Okay, go ahead, please. He applies to the master's program based on life experience, literally. Like, I'm a construction worker. I did this. You know, he at one point owned a small ice cream shop. Like, you know, he, he owned an apartment building, the apartment building that we lived in. He'd been doing like business stuff, you know, just with his GED. So he gets into the master's program in education based off life experience gets his master's, and then he transitions from construction work to white-collar work. You know, he starts working in HR at, back then was called um, Core States Bank. So, like, Core States became, like, First Union, which became Wachovia, which became Wells Fargo. Like, but he starts doing white-collar downtown, and then from there, eventually then applied to the PhD program. He does the same type of work that you do, Alexis. He was a diversity professional. His PhD was in philosophy with a focus on organizational development. And then he was a diversity and inclusion specialist. That's what he did in his, his later years. That's amazing. And you you can't ex- describe his story without saying the same tagline or quote that you said to me that he will share. I'm from the streets and I'm the only one I know that's going from GED to PhD. And he's very proud of being from the streets. You know, when we would go back to Philly, people would be like, hey, Dr. Block, hey, Fred, hey, what's up? You know, what's happening? And like all these people, I'm like, you know that guy? You know, and like, these are like his childhood people, you know? That's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing story, amazing perspective. There was no way we recorded this without you <laughs> saying that out loud. So I, I'm glad yeah, I got G- that. GD to PhD, you know? So I'm going to take us back. You go to law school. How's law school? Did you like it? How was it? I loved it. I loved it. And kind of piggybacking on like the football theme, I felt super prepared because I was used to spending all day like doing stuff in a structured way. So when class would let out, I would just go downstairs to the library for three or four hours. I'm like, it's just like practice. You know, it's the same thing. Just class is over. Okay, now you got to do the next part. And so it was really, it was pretty seamless because it was like replacing all that football time with studying. So I didn't, it's not like I had more time, but I was used to using all my time in kind of a constructive way. And so kind of seamless. I mean, nothing prepares you for like reading week and doing outlines and all that. But the day-to-day, going to class, read your cases, outline, I was ready for it, you know? Wow, that's interesting. And especially going, you didn't go directly straight there, but it was it was close. It, was that about a, a closer to, it was a year? In between? Yes, because I did I did a fifth year of college because I redshirted at Duke as a true freshman, which is when you don't play, you just practice, lift weights, and go to class. So I had this extra year of eligibility. And so I did five years for college. Okay. That time you were in the, the marketing and the month in the year. Yeah, arena. that was like a year. I basically call it a year. Yeah, that was about a year. So how do you decide what practice area? you want to be in? Did you have inklings by the time you were in law school? No. You know, I thought I wanted to be a litigator, but all one else want to be litigators, right? Because that's what you're That's taught, what they teach you. You know, yes. and so I'm, you know, I'm interviewing for OCI and I'm like, I want to be you know, the next Johnny Cochran. I want to be a litigator. And the people were like, really? Like you went to Wharton? Like, okay. Like if that's what you want to do, you know, but like, it, and that, so that started to be my first indication of like, Hmm, am I doing this the right way? Are there other things I should be considering here, perhaps? (laughs) So so then my summer, uh, uh, interned at Foley Hoag in Boston, they encouraged you to take assignments from like every practice group. 
And so I did that and definitely like the corporate assignments more um, and got some great advice from some mentors that were like, look, if you like this kind of work, you can leverage your undergrad. Clients are going to really like knowing their lawyer went to Wharton. You know, like that's an easy sell, you know, like, and I'm like, yeah, it is. Right. And so I didn't know what venture capital was. And I'm like, so people like, cause you know, I grew up in a working class family. If you didn't have enough money to do something, you just, just you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Yeah. You you're know? not getting money from anyone else. No, 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 no. You have an idea and you go see a venture capitalist and they will give you the money to do your idea. And I, I thought that was so cool, you know, to, to work with people doing that. So yeah, start that kind of took me to corporate law. And then I made sure in my two and three L years to take, you know, M&A, contract drafting. I started kind of focusing on corporate business law once I kind of figured it out. That's really smart. I know for me, when I was in law school, just like you said, the focus is litigation focused and you kind of have to go out of your way a little bit, at least then to get some of that corporate structure. I was also the opposite in that. I was like, Ooh, this is corporate. I could never I could never do this. (laughs) But so you figure out corporate is the path. I know you mentioned you summered at Foley Hoag. And I know you started your career there and subsequently joined Foley and Lardner. So it is funny that you're at both of these Foley firms. But just tell me a bit. I know you did the, the shorter elevator pitch thing earlier. But just tell me a little bit more about the day-to-day issues that you focus on as a senior counsel at Foley and Lardner? Sure. I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll think about which is what I'm doing now. Yesterday, helped a client close the acquisition of a small company in Virginia. We're negotiating the terms. We're doing due diligence. You know, are they in compliance with regulations? Have they paid their taxes? You know, all that. But then like, so love M&A, great work to do. But my, my true passion is the venture capital stuff because it's just, I don't know, it's more exciting to me seeing companies kind of literally grow, you know, after they get the money and then eventually to an exit, whether that's an IPO or they sell out or they merge with someone bigger. So I'm working on three financings right now, representing a healthcare VC, putting in money into a health tech platform. That's so interesting though. Also the VC focus and how you you uh, tied it back to earlier when you were like, where I'm from, if you didn't have money, you just didn't have money. <laughs> yeah, you just didn't have it. You know, like, you know, so, so we're doing that. And then a couple of other financings. And then one, my, my personal client just got a term sheet for a $5 million investment and he has a, a health app. And so I'm working with him on structuring that, you know, obviously he wants the money, but he needs to maintain corporate control and the ability to, you know, run the company the way he sees fit. And so I love just, they're paying me, but I like to think of it as I'm helping people, you know, I'm helping people do what they do, do what they want to do. That's fantastic. Well, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I think given the time that we're in and, you know, for those who listen to this podcast well into the future, it's early July of 2020, right? So we've dealt with and are still in the midst of coronavirus and now are what I'll call this like new racial justice movement. I'm talking to you, Vaughn, as a black man in a large mm-hmm. law firm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious if you have any commentary on what it was like navigating, particularly law school as a person of color, you know, and I, I ask you this as also, you know, a black woman, diversity director at a large law firm, that any reflections you may have on your experiences up until till now, and that may be really open, but I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, it was really great in law school at WashU because of the curriculum, you know, so I took intersectionality of race, law, and gender, you know, I 
took classes at the School of Social Work because we were allowed to do that on racial inequality, took slavery seminar, wrote a thesis on the Black community's ability to petition the UN against the U.S. for reparations, you know, based on UN law and what the definition of a nation and all that. That's in my bag in terms of what I think about, you know, my dad was a diversity guy. At law school, you're with kind of the right people to treat you the right way. I mean, that doesn't mean it's always going to go that way at all. There's blind grading, so that's helpful for some biases. You know, but I, I think one thing that resonates with me is while there, I've had a, multiple interactions with police just because I'm a Black man and I'm not like a small guy. So, I, you know, I won't say I get stopped by police all the time, but let's say a dozen times in my life, you know, I've been, a you know. A dozen's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Every other year, you know, Every some cop year. is stopping me for something. And so I was, you know, I'm, I'm at Wash U. I'm, go, I'm going to class. I'm on my way to the dry cleaners. So I have a trash bag full of laundry. So I didn't have like a laundry bag. So it's in a trash bag. I'm riding a bike, you know, have a hoodie on, maybe some Timberlands, you know, trying to paint a picture. I ride my bike and then I hear, woo, woo, woo. And I'm like, oh man, that stinks for someone getting pulled over this early in the morning. Like, that's going to be a rough start to their day. And I like keep riding my bike. I had and no like, idea it was you. And then you turn, freeze, drop the bag. And I'm like, what? And I'm like on a bicycle. I didn't even know cars could pull over bikes, you know, as a concept. But so I get pulled over on my bike and, you know, I drop the bag. But, you know, I'm a one elm in crim law at the time. So I'm like, I know my rights, you know. And I got, and I'm like, why did you stop me? And like, the guy's like, show me your ID. And I'm like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. You have to tell me what I did wrong. And he's like, well, you don't know your rights because I can throw your ass in jail if you don't show me your ID. And I'm like, oh, you know, so I'm like, that sounds like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So I'm like, so I, you know, apologies for the, the using of profanity. Um, so anyway, I, so I show him my ID and I give him, I don't give him my license. I give him my wash you law ID. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You'd be surprised how many people try to pose as students in this neighborhood, you know, or they are the students, you know, right. and there's been a bunch of- He didn't think you were a student at there's first. There's been a bunch That's of burglaries. Sure. You fit the description, da, 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 da. And I'm like, I had a trash bag. Like, what could I put in this trash bag? Is it a bag of jewels? Like, what am I, what can you steal from a house in a trash bag, you know? And so- he lets me go, but essentially told me I should thank him for keeping the neighborhood safe from people that look like me. And it was just, it was just, it was just nuts, you know? And like the, the, another layer of like irony on it was like, I was going to the dry cleaners, which you, you don't do much in law school. It was because I was getting ready for OCI, you know, to go interview and get a job and work hard, American dream stuff, you know, and literally on my way to do that, drop clothes off at the cleaners for job interviews before I go to class you know, that happened to me, you know, his hands on his gun. He didn't point it at me or pull it, but it was kind of scary. A whole nother thing you dealt with that, you know, a lot of other people don't have to deal with. I don't have to deal with it. I'm kind of, you know, I I gave me ID, but it's like, what if I didn't want to, I I went a different direction than he could have went a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I, like you said, when you've had, you know, a dozen run-ins over many years in the current moment, you can't help but reflect Mm -hmm. in various ways. It's very, very, it's just real. It's super real. 
And then I want to be mindful of our time. So I'm going to switch topics a little bit, but it's clear to me, we could, we could talk, we could have a much longer podcast than we're going to have today. But I think the great part about having you on is that I hope your podcast gets shared, not only with people, you know, employees at Foley and Lardner, but more widely, you know, the hope is there's law students, you know, or maybe even kids who could listen to this one day and think I'd like to follow Vaughn's path. And so I just wonder if you have any whether they be reflections or recommendations for somebody who's like, I would like to be a corporate lawyer who focuses on M&A and venture capital. Or like, what I don't even know. When you look back on your career, what would have been helpful for someone to tell you? Great question. The cliche things, some of them are true. Like, I mean, you got to get the best grades you can at undergrad. But don't be discouraged at what undergrad you go to. It can be the smallest school no one heard of. If you get a 3-7 out of there, you leveled the playing field. So just do the best you can do. Then with law school, you know, it's it's super expensive. It really is, you know. But if you want to stay in your local area, your local school is probably okay. But if you want to go to a different city or any city, you should probably go to the best school you get in, even if it costs you the most money. It gives you the most flexibility. And so, you know, that's another kind of strategic point. And then in terms of trying to, to, to get that kind of work, you know, when you're at school, do your research. I mean, I have heard stories of people just cold emailing attorneys and asking them to take them a coffee. And then that turns into another thing to, well, why don't you come to Some this? sort of mentorship into a job, into something else. And then they get a shot, you know? So like it, it, it takes a lot of work, but, you know, do it, you know? And just don't have no fear. You know, like a lot of people will, will, will fake it. Like they, they have it all figured out, but you know, they likely don't, you know, so just go for it. You know, that's fantastic advice. And I've been sitting here thinking about how this podcast, we're not going to have any sort of like, um, subtitle name for each episode, but I almost want to call it Von Bryant from football to Foley. Oh, and okay, I like that. I like which that. I won't do because it was, <laughs> we started at different Foley, but we're focused on the current Foley. All right, all right. <laughs> I think with that, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the episode, Vaughn. I think the final thing is if someone, you know, wanted to reach out to you, had questions for you, what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you? Well, thank you, Alexis, so much. I had a blast doing this. This is great and can't wait to see you again in person uh, one of these days. I am reachable at V, like victory, Bryant, my last name, at Foley.com. V Bryant at Foley. I'm on LinkedIn. You can Google me. Happy to, to chat with anyone and, and looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Vaughn. I am beyond thrilled to add this very important update to my podcast episode with Vaughn Bryant, which is that as of February 2022, Vaughn joined the partnership at Foley and Lardner. Congratulations, Vaughn. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.